Hello and welcome back to the History of Video Games podcast. My name is Ben and I am joined by the one and only Wes for a very special episode. Incredibly special. Happy to be here. Do you want me to tell him or should you, Ben? Yeah. You, okay. Well, well, <laughs> yeah, why don't you tell him? So today is our 50th episode. It feels like a big milestone. We just, I think, about seven episodes back or five episodes back hit our one year anniversary of recording. It's like milestones every day now, Ben. I know. <laughs> Does that mean we're getting old? I feel like that's what it means. Most likely, yeah. <laughs> this is all we have to look forward to in the, as far as the milestones. We're already past drinking age and getting a car, so, you know, it's... Yep. <laughs> what else did to look forward to, Wes? <laughs> no, 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 but yeah, 50 episodes, that's a, that's a big number. <laughs> and um, Yeah, it's, it's insane to think about. Yeah, and we got kind of a special one today to celebrate. We're going to each review, or kind of review, three games per person. So we got a lot of games to cover. And, uh, well, should we get into the special topic, Wes? Or well, let's talk about games first, what we've been playing. Because I feel like you've been playing some interesting things lately. What have you been doing, Wes? I have been playing a ton of stuff. So to start off, just more of as, as a quick little wrap-up, what I've been talking about from previous weeks, I finally finished a game which you know rarely happens for me but (laughs) i was on the hollow knight binge going through it i was so close to the end and then i figured out for like all the achievements i wanted to do i had to dip into the dlc like free updates that they did since it released and Mm -hmm. those all looked fun but i didn't want to like go into all them lose my momentum and then not beat the base game so I made the hard decision for me, which was to not get all the achievements I wanted and 100% the game and just uh, finish it, the main story. Okay. So they tell you right before you get to the final boss too, like what your percentage completion is. It's at 97%. Oh no. And I was like, damn it, I'm still going to do it because I just want to beat this and like get the whole experience and then I can go back and do the rest some other time. Mm-hmm. So I sucked it up, got the 97% and then did the last two bosses the second boss because i did the like unlockable different ending first main boss not too bad second main boss absolutely like it was a nightmare it was (laughs) the boss is super cool but it's just all like dodging things coming from off screen while the boss just like floats around and you have to find windows to hit them Mm -hmm. but after like 10 15 tries i got it and it was very satisfying. So that was one of the big accomplishments. Finished Hollow Knight. It is a fantastic game. Definitely going to go check out the DLCs. And I am definitely way more hyped for Hollow Knight 2. I think it's called Silk Song. Uh, whenever that comes out. Although I don't think it's been announced. But they don't have a date announced yet. Mm-hmm. All right, nice. Yeah. So game what, done. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty good. <laughs> Happy to get that done. And the other brief thing I wanted to mention is I started playing No Man's Sky again after years of being like just as disappointed as everybody else when it released and it was just cool, but there wasn't anything to do. Mm -hmm. I think it's been three years or something since it released and there's a ton to do now. One of my favorite things of which is buy a huge freighter that you can actually like land inside and it serves as your capital ship. 
and recruit nice. uh, other capital ships that you can send off on like missions so they passively earn money for you. Cool. Yeah, it's sort of like a fun, I was going to say mini game, but I guess it's a main gameplay element of No Man's Sky now. But there's a ton there still. I'm sure I'll be talking about it later, taking a break from it now, but I've been loving it and playing a ton of it. And nice. So what have you been doing lately, Ben? I'm, I'm always curious to hear. <laughs> I feel like I'm letting you down here, Wes. <laughs> I've just been playing WoW. Like I'm addicted again. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, okay, maybe something wrong with that, but... Yeah, there is something wrong, because I hate myself now. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I have, like, come to the conclusion about a couple things, maybe I can tell you. I just think leveling up in the game feels terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have stats that just level up when you level up, right? You just get stronger. But then you also have stats on gear. You also have things that affect you outside of gear. And so... I don't know. It feels weird to me that I can like be wearing all the same gear, level up three times, and then go to an area that used to be hard and just start one-shotting things. It's like, <laughs> well, what really changed? Like, I played an hour or more in some different area, and now I'm like an overpowered beast in this area, <laughs> like the previous area. I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel good. Like, I feel like I didn't earn that, you know? Right. I was thinking, well, if stats are on gear, maybe... Why do you need to to have level up bonuses at all? Because if I just if I like killed a big boss and got some nice gear, then I would be like, oh, now I'm feeling more powerful, <laughs> and it would make sense. But it's like I look the same as I did a half an hour ago, and yet I'm drastically different. And I think part of that too is just naturally how well does things is when you level up, it's kind of exponential, right, to a certain degree. So now that I'm like level ninety something. Every single time I level up, I feel like dramatically more powerful. So, right. It's kind of a weird feeling. I don't really like it. Hmm. <laughs> Other than that, there are some things that, like, you just can't understate how nice the graphics are. It's weird because they're not, like, that good looking, but they're so nostalgic. <laughs> yeah. And I'm getting into areas I've never been to before now. And I'm like, this actually looks genuinely good. <laughs> Because I think over time they've updated the graphics with every expansion, especially in the new areas. So things just look really good. I'm getting like amazing looking loot now. <laughs> the loot and the the whole transmog system in general is such a good move on their part. <laughs> yeah. Because you can just collect all this amazing loot and then you just kind of transform whatever you're currently wearing into that loot for free. Or not for free, but for gold, which is like basically for free. After playing so many games with some sort of like cosmetic armor slot or transmog system, mm -hmm. anytime it's like an armor or like weapon collection game and it doesn't have it, it's like, what are you doing? It just feels so yeah. weird where it's like, I'm using this for stats, but I hate how it looks. It's the, the fashion element. So fun. Yeah. The fashion is really fun. And now that I'm like a higher level, I'm getting things from previous expansions that used to be like the best looking stuff in the game, you know? So they're very, very cool. Big swords, big staffs, really cool robes and stuff. I've just been digging it. I got basically a sword that was like a lightsaber and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's tons of things to like about it. The lore is really good. Although I'm, I'm actually wondering what you think about this, Wes. But they have advanced the story quite a bit, which I wasn't expecting. Like, I go back to places and 
the main bosses that I used to know and want to kill just aren't there anymore. <laughs> I was like, what? what's going on? Like Edwin Van Cleef is gone. It's like, what? I oh, wanted no. to kill him. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it, iconic characters. It's weird. Huh. I mean, I could see that if there's like a uh, progression or like, I don't know, say you beat him, but then in this new expansion, their new raid boss, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, if they came back. But it seems like it's like, no, he's dead. Adventurers yeah. killed him. He's not coming back. And it's like, what? <laughs> I can see that being cool as like part of a, if you were part of like a world event where that happened, you know? Because our yeah. MMOs do have that problem where it's like, you play this huge story, but like, Illidan respawns in 10 seconds. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. But, or like, even something where, Maybe he's gone, but let let me kill him first, and then let him be gone or something. Right, like per player, or even just have like a uh, quote unquote like legacy mode or something, where you just play an yeah. old school version of a dungeon. And yeah, I guess that's tons of data, but it sounds really cool. It's just yeah, it's just weird. Like I think uh, I could be wrong about this. I haven't been here yet, but I think the Lich King isn't Arthas anymore. And he's not in, in the game either. Like, he's definitely not in the lore, but hes I don't think he's in the game. I was like, what? Huh. Again, I wanted to kill that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, these are iconic characters. It just seems weird. Yeah. That is strange. I don't know. In general, the armor and loot system has me come, coming back. <laughs> so, it's weird, too, also to think about how much time I've put in, and I've probably explored, like, 30% of the world <laughs> like not even half that's well, like crazy to me as long as you want to keep playing that's a good thing <laughs> yep so far so good but we'll see <laughs> but let's talk about the special topic we thought for the 50th episode we just kind of talk about the podcast itself what we like about it and what we're hyped for in the future maybe I don't know you want to get us started off with this Wes? yeah absolutely so I thought it might be nice to kind of just give an insight on you know why we keep doing this what we've learned from it what we enjoy about it all that kind of stuff so some things for me personally of course i am a huge gamer love playing games all the time but never really like old school gamer i mean i grew up in the era of like n64 and then mainly playing stuff on like xbox was kind of my uh upbringing for games but seeing the history of all this and especially the way that we are doing it, which is so uh, granular, you know, game by game, mm. which you don't get that from a lot of other breakdowns of games, I feel like, or of uh, video game history. Right. And being sort of tasked with, well, we're creating this podcast, so I got to learn it and also present the information. It's a real cool challenge. So I've been liking that and, of course, enjoying working with you and also learning about audio stuff in the little bit that I do uh, for the recording side of things because Ben does mm -hmm. all of our editing for these episodes. It's just a lot of cool stuff that I wouldn't be doing or learning most likely if I didn't have like this recurring weekly uh, project, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's kind of, it's a couple different things. One of the whole reasons why I wanted to do this from the very beginning, Wes, was just like, I miss talking to my friends and I wanted to see them like every week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, being able to talk to you has been so fun, but then also I also have just like this super optimistic view of what we're doing because in a sense, 
since we're doing it chronologically, there is this feeling that like all the worst games are somehow behind us. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like everything that we're going to see in like 78, for instance, it's going to look better. It's going to play better. It's going to sound better. And that'll always be the case because the next year we'll hopefully always have better games. And I don't know. It's just like this weird feeling I have like the future is going to be even cooler than it is right now. But even right now, it's super cool. And whenever we get a big star game that I'm like been waiting to talk about, I get so excited for those. Yeah, no, I definitely see that. It's super exciting to just be like the way that we're looking at it, the way that you, of course, like doing the research, the very detailed stuff and breaking it all down gives us the opportunity to get excited about holy cow they have one sprite in true color or like you know <laughs> yeah. it's a real good overlay where like you throw that out of context and say like hey in 1977 this one game had an overlay people are like yeah but when does color get there or right <laughs> you know so it, it gives us a fun chance to be of course still condensed we're not living through it but closer to that and it's a real fun experience yeah there's so many like games that i would have never heard of before that are actually really good and also that I really look forward to. Like when I was doing Boot Hill, for instance, I knew that was the sequel to Gunfight, which was an amazing game. So I was like, I was ready, man. I was so hyped for that. (laughs) And in the past, you know, obviously I would have had no idea what Boot Hill was. Or even if I saw it, I probably would have thought this looks kind of lame. But like in context, it's so cool. And that's what we're getting with the podcast. It's just really nice yeah absolutely so you know with 50 episodes in our belt behind us whichever one of those sayings actually applies there um i think we're both just pretty excited to be doing it right now and hoping that everyone who's listening to it is enjoying it as well we're having a fun time with this journey we hope to keep giving you great episodes and teaching you about this uh history yeah and i'm hoping when this podcast goes up that i'll update the website a lot in honor of our 50th episode so go check that out too because you can kind of see a visual history of all the things we talk about and i love the website too (laughs) yeah yeah so uh, i think with that let's move into the games west because we got a lot of games today yeah let's get right over to it Welcome back. As Ben mentioned today, because it is our 50th episode, we got a lot of good games that we want to talk to you about. So we are going to get things started right away in the timeline with one of the games I reviewed, Depth Charge. So Depth Charge is by UPL, which is Universal Playland, and Gremlin. Came out in September of 1977. There was also another version of it that we're going to be briefly mentioning in a bit that was licensed by Taito, came out in Japan under the name of Sub Hunter. 
it's got several remakes in the future, which surprised me because I was, didn't really know much about it when I first looked at it. The cabinet itself looks pretty standard. It's kind of just like mostly white, but it has some cool boat images and submarines and explosions and depth charges, which are just like little barrels, I guess. So it's got that going for it, but you know, kind of standard. The only controls were moving left and right with the boat that you control and then dropping depth charges at port or starboard side of the boat. So the controls themselves on the cabinet were just two buttons or four buttons that you controlled with. The graphics were black and white and they had a blue overlay, so nothing too crazy there. But getting into the gameplay of this, it's sort of like the Seawolf type game, but in reverse. Or if you think about it as like underwater themed Drop Zone 4, kind of. You're a destroyer sitting at the top of the water. You have several different lines of submarines going in different directions below you at different speeds. Drop depth charges that travel slowly down, hit subs, and each sub has a number on it that tells you what the point value is. So, you know, kind of shooting gallery-esque, except you're dropping things from the top of the screen. So you can have up to six depth charges deployed at once, and it gives you a counter at the top of the screen so you know how many you have left. You can move the boat side to side, basically shoot charges out from either directions. And the reason that you move side to side is not only to aim, but also because the subs deploy mines that travel up to the surface of the water. And if you get hit, you lose 100 points. Some people who played this also said that the animation for getting hit takes long enough that you can get like chained and get hit by a ton oh, of no. sub mines. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have that happen to me, but that would be pretty funny because 100 points is not a ton, but it's a decent bit in this game. So you could just get like easily chained to zero points, I feel like. Uh, so hopefully that didn't happen much. At least I didn't experience it. But basically, after you get to 500 points, you would get an overtime round, and little sub images appear at the bottom to track the total number of subs that you destroyed during the game, too. Because in addition to the point value on the sub that you get, at the end of the game, each sub is also worth 30 points, which is a little confusing. doesn't make a ton of sense, but there's like a during-the-game score that counts towards whether or not you earn overtime mm -hmm. but there's also like a total score that's only tallied up after the game ends so it, it kind of makes sense but it's a, a little bit of an interesting different way to score so now going into my ratings for this for graphics i gave it a 2.5 out of 10 compared to a lot of the new arcade cabinets we've been seeing the graphics and depth charge are not super exciting to be fair though, it is only aided by a blue overlay instead of kind of the crazy uh, painting feel overlays that we've been seeing recently that we've been giving pretty high graphics ratings. So this does a pretty decent job for just being black and white and having a blue overlay. There's a white portion at the top of the screen, which is the sky, and then the boat is black, so you can see that. And then the ocean and everything below it is black water and the submarines are white, basically. It creates a nice effect and it's easy to see everything, but it leaves the whole thing feeling kind of empty. Just this huge black space with submarines. To me, what the most exciting part of the graphics probably was, 
is the sprites themselves and the animations because the mm -hmm. subs although they look really simple overall they have like just enough detail that it's definitely a submarine and it looks pretty good and they have a decent explosion animation too the destroyer also has a decent bit of detail although one thing i really didn't like about that is it's perfectly uh vertically symmetrical so it's just like you know they flipped half the boat around and it looks a little strange because i feel like destroyers aren't usually symmetrical well i um, think it's i think it's a front view like you're looking at the front of it but you travel side to side so i don't think it's supposed yeah, to be that's true that that would be weird yeah <laughs> i did think it was like a front view that just popped side to side though that's what i got from it <laughs> uh, that could be i mean that doesn't really doesn't make sense in a different way it was game that, sense wes yeah yeah <laughs> but that visually does make a little bit more sense so that could be why it is uh symmetric on both sides if not it's a little strange but it makes enough sense and there is a decent bit of detail there so i'm not going to knock it too much the depth charges themselves too are pretty simple rectangles but they spin in a circle between like four or five different sprites i think as they float down which looks pretty nice and they also have this really slow movement speed which is cool too because it really gives you the feeling like these are slowly sinking into the water mm -hmm. so not so much like a fast-paced bomb dropping kind of thing the mines that the subs deploy weirdly enough i thought also looked really good too even though they're just kind of like five dots in an x shape but they have this like weird wiggle to side to side animation as they float up and you know it kind of makes it look like it's actually rising in water and the best thing about them is that when they actually explode when they hit the surface of the water there's this black splash of water that actually comes up into the white area of the screen at the top which looks really good and i feel like we haven't seen too much like that before other than like you know explosions from jeeps it's kind of similar to that hmm. so those were kind of the most exciting things about it while the setting was a little bland but moving on to the sound for this i gave it a 3.5 out of 10 because the sounds are super good on this cabinet. I think they knew that when they made it because that's like one of the main things advertised on the flyer. And the reason that's so good, one of the main sounds that they have going on, it's just this like constant pulsing sonar noise, which it repeats on a pretty short loop, but it's still really good for an arcade cabinet in 77 definitely know it's sonar and it really helps give you that extra theming and feeling that you're actually where the game says you are you know mm -hmm. dropping charges and all that and the explosions from the charges also sound really good it's kind of this bassy noise but it's also muffled so it really gives you that feeling that they're exploding underwater and you're hearing them from the surface and also if you get to overtime there's this kind of like chiming series of beeps that actually echoes and fades out slowly hmm. which yeah i wouldn't have thought about it as we were talking about before without having looked at tons of games in 77 before this but that couldn't have been super easy to do like or else we would have heard it a lot but it was a real nice difference even that small echo fade out because it was just made it that much more complex than just like three beeps chiming when you win a game or something like that
gave it such a high sound score because even though they're not impressive necessarily, each as individual sounds, the fact that they were all in one arcade cabinet in 1977 is pretty crazy to me. Yeah, and I think they do a good job of like, it gives a nice like aquatic feel to it. I don't know, like somehow it's almost atmospheric, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what I was getting at with the sonar and the um, AC mm-hmm. sort of explosion, muffled explosion of the depth charge. It really helps build that atmosphere since it's kind of lacking in the visuals as far as like a detailed overlay, but the sound really helps bring you into that. Mm-hmm. So then for the gameplay, I gave it a 2 out of 10. The game is pretty much like exactly what you think it is when you play it. And it works pretty well, but since there's so many lines of subs that move super fast and some of them move really slow, the high point subs, which are usually going really, really slowly at the bottom, are super hard to hit. It's a little weird because it's not just a timing game because you can drop a depth charge and then out of nowhere, halfway down, this like super fast sub just runs into it. Everyone's doing like suicide, uh, runs and blocking the shot for the 80 point sub down there get down mr president kind of thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that gives it a weird feeling and a couple of the people who i watched play were saying that as well that it's there's definitely strategy to where you drop the bombs because the timing is so weird since they fall so slowly through the water but then like a 10 pointer just kind of rockets across the screen and uh blocks your shot so it's it's a little weird but it still generally is pretty fun. It just feels like it loses a little bit of that strategy element, and your best bet is kind of to just throw depth charges all over the water and hope that you hit stuff. So then for relevance, I gave it a 7 out of 10. I think depth charge is pretty relevant due to kind of its unique spin on the bombing seawolf genre, and also multiple clones and remakes will be made for this in the future, so it's definitely got some relevance there. And kind of just the fact that Gremlin's an important company and they're often in development with Sega too. Sega has oversight with some of their products and eventually Sega is going to absorb Gremlin. So just sort of in that whole, is that a weird way to word that? No, see, I've just been watching a lot of The Office lately and I just watched the episode where Dwight's like... um, he absorbed his brother in the yeah. Well, he said he says resorb, <laughs> but you kind of said it like that. So. Well, in a slightly less creepy tone than that, eventually Sega <laughs> will buy uh, Kremlin. So, just their whole sort of lineage, I feel like, is relevant to video game history. Mm-hmm. So, overall, that left me with a three out of ten for Depth Charge. I think it's a solid, fun game that's slightly held back by its visuals and its gameplay but it's really kind of made up for it with how fantastic the sounds are and how they fit the theme so well. And there's just all those aspects combined really help it stand out against other arcade games in uh, 77. And then so going straight from that, we have the honorable mention that I alluded to a little earlier, Sub Hunter by Taito and Gremlin, which came out in 77. It's basically Taito's licensed clone of Depth Charge. Uh, we don't really know how similar it is, but I think it came out pretty soon after, so I'd assume it's at least pretty close. Mm-hmm. And then next up, we have Minesweeper by Amutech Limited and Minesweeper 4-Player that also came out sometime in 77. 
And they seem like blockade type games, not traditional Minesweeper that we're thinking of. I know. I was really um, hoping they were, but no. And it's it's a simple-ish concept. Like I'm surprised we haven't seen it, but I'm sure yeah. we've seen similar like board game logic game type things that probably inspired it. But anyway, these Minesweeper games, basically you're a boat laying down mines in a blockade style gameplay, but a little bit more traditional than Embargo. And that's going to move me to the first one that I rated today. It's a game called Laguna Racer by Midway, which I thought was just like a great name of a game. <laughs> yeah, it's got a great ring to it. Yeah, Laguna Racer. Let me start off by talking a little bit about the cabinet. It's got a very distinct, like, low to the ground, very fast cars, and it's very colorful. On the front, it says Laguna Racer with some big, nice, like, F1 looking cars, I guess. And then on the sides, you also get more of those cars. You get like a nice picture of, I want to say like a guy holding a stopwatch, maybe <laughs> <laughs> someone that looks kind of like Racer X to me, <laughs> like the character. So um, it's kind of kind of got a nice like look to it. As far as the game itself, it's essentially a speed race clone. So we've got scrolling graphics. We start at the bottom of the screen. And we try to speed up and go towards the top of the screen. You can never really get to the actual top. But there's sort of like a top speed there. And then you're just kind of dodging cars. Trying to maintain that, that top speed for as long as possible. And um, as simple as it sounds. And as like maybe not as interesting as it sounds. I think there's a, like quite a few things that it does a little differently. That just really polish that style of gameplay. Let's start with the graphics. Graphically, we have the actual playfield is just black and white, but then on the sides and in the very top of the screen, it's actually on a hand-painted background. So I guess there was another, you know, mirror setup type thing here. But it's weird to me because the mirror setup must have done like, you know, mountains and, and sky and stuff, but only on the sides and the top. Like, it didn't have anything in the middle, so you just got the pure gameplay of you racing on the track on that, which I thought was very interesting. Hmm. And in general, I just think it looks really, really nice. They even tried to make it almost fade from where the gameplay is to the background, which uh, it doesn't work out the best, but it's almost like at the actual hand-painted background, it's like you can see the road continuing in the distance, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Like, they tried to pull that off, and it's, like, done all right. I quite like it, uh, especially at the top. There's, like, these nice snowy mountains in the distance, which are really nice to look at. But um, you have that, and then you also have something else, which I think is, well, actually, a couple things yet. Uh, one of them is the sprites scale with how far away they are. So if you're going faster and you're going towards the top of the screen, your sprite actually gets smaller, and then the sprites towards the bottom of the screen are larger. Like the actual sprite changes. We've seen that a couple times, like in Boot Hill, for instance, it does that. But it just kind of, like if you quickly slow down or speed up, it feels like you're going a much further distance because the car model is getting smaller. And that happens with all the AIs too. So as you pass them and they fall down the screen, their sprite will get bigger, which I thought was cool. Same thing with the um, the little like checkered marks along the sides of the road that kind of tell you how fast you're going by how fast they're falling down. They also look different at the bottom than the top, so just kind of like thicker. So overall, it just gives a really nice sense and feel of speed. Okay, yeah. Love. 
So it's almost like a perspective, right? Like it's sort of yeah. going in towards a one point perspective at the top or not quite a one point. Cause it's more like, um, just sort of a plain horizon or something. Okay. I don't know. Like there's no coming in diagonally or anything, but, uh, yeah, it does feel like there's some perspective there, which is cool, which I don't think we've seen in a speed race type game. So to have that with like the scrolling graphics, pretty cool. I thought, and then another thing I really, really loved is, do you know how in these games you have to work the shifter, Wes? Yeah. I always think it's like, like you have to play it a lot to really kind of get what the shifter is supposed to do. Well, on this game, it's only a two-way shifter, so maybe not as advanced there, but on this game, you actually have a miles per hour bar. And once you get up to, I think, 80, an actual text comes on the screen and says, shift now. <laughs> Oh, I was nice. like, oh my god. <laughs> like they know I'm bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> and just in general, like all the text on the screen, there's one with how much time you have, one with how many miles you've gone. You've got the mile per hour bar, which is like a you know, depending on how fast you go, the bar goes up and down. It goes from zero to two hundred, by the way. <laughs> which I don't know if it feels like you're really going two hundred miles an hour, but <laughs> it's still kind of cool. And then it says when to shift, when to start. And it says when you've earned extended time, it'll say extended time on the bottom. And then also it says at the very end, it'll say new course record, which is the highest score on the machine, which is just great. I love that because it's a one player game. So really you're going for the high score and for it to tell you if you got it, uh, I don't think it tells you what the high score is, just whether or not you've gotten it, which is really interesting. (laughs) But, um, I just love all those things about it. The cars themselves don't look very good. <laughs> uh, when they're the bigger sprites, like I can kind of see what they're what they were thinking. But when they get small, I don't know. I kind of think it looks like some sort of Viking boat with like oars coming out of the side. <laughs> That's what it looks like. I don't know, but uh, they don't look the best. But everything around them looks really, really nice, and also we have some interesting animation. Like when you crash, the car spins around as it falls down, which is already cool. And then you actually see a dude pop out and then run to the side. (laughs) And also I think right when it starts, a guy comes out. Let me double check that. Yeah. Yeah. So when the game starts, a guy runs across the, uh, the racetrack and quick throws up a flag and then (laughs) runs away. Oh, nice. And those are very, very small sprites compared to the whole screen like of the little people walking. But you can very clearly tell what it is. It's like a little stick man. And I think they look really nice. So just having like nice crash animations and and like a go flag guy. I mean, it really just polishes this type of gameplay to me. And I really enjoyed it. So with all that said... Let me get into my ratings. For graphics, I give it a 3 out of 10. I think the weak point is the cars, but we've got a hand-painted background. We've got nice animations. We've got perspective with changing models and graphics. I should also mention there's four AI on the screen at any one time. So there's a lot there. And there's the bar at the bottom, which is a miles per hour bar, which is the first game to ever have a miles per hour bar, I think. Like These are all like really nice additions, I think. So it just adds a lot. I love that it tells you when to shift. I love that it tells you 
when you've earned extended play um, and has high score. Like those are some gameplay things, but there's graphics to all of those things as well, like within the game. So I really loved it. In general, I thought it, it looked really nice. As far as gameplay goes, I gave it two and a half out of ten. It's really great gameplay, but we've seen it before. You know, this is this is speed race essentially. This is exactly how it's always been, which is you're just kind of moving towards the top of the screen and just dodging people. I do think it's interesting on this one when you start and you're going slow, the enemies actually spawn behind you and will pass you. But then as you go faster, you'll pass them and then they'll start spawning from the top down. I always thought that was interesting. It seems like it's just random with how they spawn, so it was more just a reaction type game where you're just trying to dodge things, but it's still really fun though. <laughs> For sound, unfortunately, I didn't find any videos of it with sound. Uh, oh, although no. I know all the videos and come from the emulation, which had no sound, so I just had to give it an NA. I'm sure it would have had some pretty nice car sounds, but uh, I just had to NA that, unfortunately. And then for relevance, I only gave it 4 out of 10. As cool as I think it is, there's a reason why. I can't find any pictures of like the cabinet stuff, like the actual right. one that's working. It must not have sold that well. It is kind of an older game design at this point, being kind of a Speed Race one, which we've seen, I think Speed Race came out in 74. So kind of a th- something that's already been done. And uh, it just doesn't seem to have sold that well, but... I really like it. I think it's cool. So overall, I gave it a 2.75 out of 10. I liked it. I don't know. (laughs) Sounds really cool. I mean, it just sounds like so many like small things that we expect from modern day games that we haven't been getting in like old school racing games. Yeah, it just feels very polished. Yeah. Even though the gameplay isn't that unique. I, I just, I love the the miles per hour bar as soon as i saw that i was like oh my gosh i've been waiting for this <laughs> right actual visual cues for when the shift yeah stuff like that it's so good and then having a hand-painted background and little animations and some interesting perspective things it's like it's not like a straight clone you know it's like they they did try to make it the next level and i really appreciate that but yeah this laguna racer from midway yeah it sounds like a a cool one it's I don't know it's it's got a lot of changes that i wouldn't expect from like you know when we keep getting one racing game after another you're like all right yeah, yeah but what are they going to do different but that's enough different yeah. maybe not for the consumers at the time but that's pretty cool yeah definitely and that came out in september as did all the games we're going to cover today so just in case i forget <laughs> yeah and next up we are going to talk about one that uh i wouldn't say originality is its strong suit (laughs) the second game that i took a look at today star cruiser by ramtech i think they could have just called it star war or star battle or you know uh because you take one look at this flyer and it is a off-brand y-wing being chased by an off-brand tie fighter oh wow Um, it's so good i I gotta show you the picture after this because i mean it's like i'll pull it up i'm very curious as well yeah but it's not even like oh yeah it's kind of so it's just so blatant yeah (laughs) (laughs) and the fact that this came out uh four months after star wars hit theaters you're like hmm 
I checked. The Y wing was in the first movie. They didn't make up the Y wing, so it's real funny. But one of the funnier things about it is, you know, you have this incredibly Star Wars inspired flyer, but one of the players in this game is almost exactly a top-down version of the Enterprise from Star Trek. <laughs> well, so, that's weird. Yeah, it feels like they were making a Star Trek game. You know, they're like, oh man, Star Trek's popular. We got to make a Star Trek game like everyone else. And then Star Wars came out and they're like, what if we just changed the branding, yeah. but not the game? <laughs> Yo, did you notice on the front there's a picture of like R2-D2 kind of off-brand? I didn't see. I'll have to go back and look at it. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's like where the coin boxes. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so first thing when you're looking up this game where you want to know more about it, look up the flyer for it. Star Cruiser by Ramtech. It's pretty funny. The cabin itself, pretty simple, white for most of it, and then has the same design as the flyer, just kind of around the screen. And then, yeah, like the droid sort of by the coin operation part of it. Interestingly enough, it's kind of like a space war type game, but it has a pedal for controlling when you're when you move forward and a sort of airplane style controller for driving it's a two-player game so there was two of those on this cabinet and i mentioned that the one character looks like the enterprise and i don't think i mean it definitely is the enterprise you can't really mistake it the other one though is either straight on view of a tie fighter which would be weird because it's a top-down game a top-down view of a klingon warbird which is also possible or maybe this one actually is something completely original. <laughs> I couldn't tell. So maybe I should give him some credit because I didn't look at it right away and go like, that's a ripoff. But yeah. <laughs> so the other one, you'll have to look at it after this, Ben, and, and tell me what you think. But getting into the gameplay for it, like I mentioned, it is very similar to Space War in that you are two ships fighting in space, sort of a top-down view on one plane. And both ships and projectiles warp around or wrap around the sides of the screen as you travel. The score, I think it's a timer based thing, but there isn't a timer on screen. The score's on screen, but it's kind of like ends at a certain point, which is a little weird. When a player is killed, instead of one player respawning, both players respawn at their separate edges of the screen. And it looks like each player could only have one projectile on screen at a time. There is also the ability to control the projectile with your movement keys, which I am going to dub the Space English. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, you always got to put the Space English on it when you get the opportunity to. <laughs> yeah. uh, but from what I could tell from playing the emulated version of this, there's one fire button that allows you to fire a projectile, and then when you release the button, it explodes wherever you release it, and it travels in a straight line the whole time benefit of it exploding is it kind of gets this larger hitbox and it can so you can sort of time it to hit your opponent there's also another fire button which always goes a set distance but your movement controls switch from controlling your ship to controlling the missile hmm. you can actually fly that around sort of at the same turn radius and speed as the ship goes which is pretty cool so getting into my ratings for it for graphics i gave it a 1.5 out of 10 all around, pretty much the graphics are not great for this. Uh, it's plain black and white with no overlay at all. No color. The space, so I get why they wanted to go for black and white. But it is literally just two ships on the screen. The score numbers, 
and then any missiles or explosions that happen to be on the screen. I would have liked some kind of timer or stars or asteroids in the background, but there isn't anything going on really. So despite that though, the reason I didn't give it like zero or a 0.5 is that the ships actually do look pretty good. They have several different sprites for when they're kind of turning 360 degrees. You know, sort of look like slanted, warped versions, but they're believable and they give you the impression that you're flying in circles. And the explosions are actually different for both the missile and for a ship exploding, which is really nice too. It's sort of like this big bunch of stars, kind of powdery thing when you blow up a ship. And it's like this big plus sign explosion when the missile explodes without hitting something. But they both look distinctly different, which is nice. And both the ships look different too. Even though they're both probably ripoffs, I appreciate that they at least look different. So then going to the sound for this, I gave it a 1 out of 10. The sounds may have been a little exaggerated in the videos I watched. The emulated version I played didn't have any sound. But it sounds like it is just incredibly loud, abrasive background noise most of the time. It's supposed to be the engines for the ships. But it basically sounds like, uh, you know, before the days of modern cable and everything, when you turn to a channel that your cable package didn't have and it just went straight to white noise and static, it's basically that noise except any time a ship is moving. So that's not great. That already is kind of negative points for it right there. The explosion sounds, though, are good. But I was a little disappointed since there's different sprites and animations for ship exploding and a missile exploding that there weren't different sounds for those. Those are both the same clip, whether the missile explodes without hitting something or if it hits a ship. But it does seem like they might be played at slightly different lengths, like it's more of the sound clip played if the ship explodes, which is nice. The missile shooting noise is also alright and kind of spacey, and it's definitely different than most of what we hear in space games, but it's a little weird. It's like mix between somebody zipping up a jacket and then not to be like real childish but like a robot fart it's real strange man it's you gotta listen to it but it's just like a zoop and that's whenever you fire a missile basically So not super great there, but at least some interesting stuff, different than what we hear in most space games. With the gameplay, I gave it a 2 out of 10. The gameplay is really simple, and we've kind of seen it a lot of times before. The main difference here, though, is those two fire mode missiles. Um, they're both unique, and they both add some tactics to the gameplay, which I, which I thought was really great. Controlling the missile does feel a little bit janky. I mean, it doesn't have a super tight turn radius. But just the fact that it's an option is really cool for this type of game because we don't see a lot of that. And also when you're controlling the missile and just controlling not the movement, but how far it goes before it explodes, that actually seems to be really effective in the gameplay. And you can time it super well so that the explosion hits the target at just the right point, and it does feel pretty good too. So both those options, even though one is the way I was playing it, seemed a little bit better. It's really cool that you have those options in this type of game. For relevance, I just gave it a 4 out of 10. I like Ramtech, but this doesn't feel super impactful. It's 
kind of the first game of its kind to have loose Star Wars affiliation, but it's not a licensed Star Wars game, so I don't know if that really counts. Mm-hmm. It almost just feels like a bit of like a hollow clone of Space War with Star Wars and Star Trek kind of thrown into it. So as much as it does some cool stuff with the gameplay, I don't think it's relevant for that, and it doesn't seem like particularly loved or remembered either. So overall, that gave me a 1.5 out of 10 for this. The game's advertising art cracks me up, and I get why Ramtech did it. I mean, you got to bank on that uh, Star Wars hype. Mm-hmm. But really, the main things here are the cool ships and the different fire modes, which are really fun, but it's not really enough to make this stand out as a super exciting game on the timeline. Yeah. So that was Star Cruiser by Ramtech. I mean, I hate Tanaka just for the Star Wars flyer stuff, but it is <laughs> so blatant, and I love it. Yeah. What do you think about like the AI? Because I, when I'm watching the videos, sometimes it looked like the AI was doing good, and then sometimes it looked like <laughs> it was just getting destroyed. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't want to be too harsh on that from the emulator perspective because I wasn't sure, you know, like how different it was, but it didn't seem great, like. Mm-hmm. It was to the point where I was just, I sat my ship still so I could figure out some of the controls and the different fire modes, mm-hmm. and I never got hit. Oh. I don't think the whole time I played. So it's, at least in the emulator, it was not super great. Okay. It is a two player game, though. So at least yes. and you can I can always go back to that. Fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny, though. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. We got another one. Um, we're just rating them like back to back to back here in the beginning. But this one is the big one for this week, I think. It's called Superbug. It's another racing game that I did. And um, this is, like, the game I've been waiting for, Wes. Oh, man. I know. I don't want to build the hype too much, but this is a good game. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it really does something that I've been waiting for so much. And that is scrolling graphics, but in all directions. (laughs) <laughs> oh okay yeah so the best way to think about the game by key games which are the the studio that did grand track 10 that did sprint it's another top-down grand track 10 style game except with scrolling graphics kind of i guess maybe in like a night driver sort of style but what's amazing about this game i actually read that a lot of people call it the first game with a scrolling play field because it really feels like you you can go in any direction. And um, what's like the best thing about it is that the tracks are random too. So oh, nice. This is like one of those games that you could get like infinite replayability from, I think. Because <laughs> the tracks, unlike just being some sort of set thing, like a kind of weirdly shaped oval or something, like how it would have been in the past, they're like completely different and they can go side to side, backwards, forwards, be turning diagonally for a long time. <laughs> and uh, it gives this illusion that you're playing on this track that's just massive and that you're actually driving through a world and not just some repeating thing that's happening over and over and over again. Right. And it's, I love that. <laughs> I mean, even something like Night Driver or Night, Night Racer. Like, it always felt that you were kind of moving forward with some turns, you know? But you were never, like, going backwards in that game, right? Right. But on this one, you can actually, like, 
have a turn that's basically like a U-turn, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then be going down for a little while and then it would turn back or do something else. So it's almost like playing a top-down GTA 5 or something. I don't know. <laughs> In terms of the racing. And I just love that. It's super, super cool. I've been waiting for a game to do that. And uh, to really use scrolling graphics and not just uh, they're coming down from the top kind of way, but right. we're kind of building in this world from any direction. It's like the level is massive, you know, that's how it feels. And uh, I've just been waiting for something like that. I don't know. But uh, let's get into the the description of it a little bit more. The uh, flyer, I don't really know what to make of the flyer. <laughs> and uh, the cabinet itself, just a super bug. And then there's like a picture of a car, but like a bug type car. Yeah, you know the old school, but it's got like monster. Yeah, yeah, but it's got like monster truck wheels, and I don't really know why. (laughs) Uh, There's also a picture of like a dude with a mustache and glasses, just like chilling, like driving at one hand. (laughs) It's kind of cartoony, but I like it. It's cool. I think (laughs) it's definitely a little weird though. (laughs) But then uh, the actual, like, what the actual graphics themselves look like, essentially, is a Grand Track Ten style graphics. It's all black and white, but we do have an overlay where at the very top and bottom it has your fuel count, which is basically how long you have till game over, and then a score at the bottom. Those are in a green overlay, and then the actual car itself is in an area where it's a yellow overlay. So the sides of the track are all white and black, but then at the at the middle you have a yellow car, and you know if you go over an oil slick or something because it's just a standard overlay not a hand-painted one or anything like that like the oil slick will turn yellow for a second once you're over it right but that's kind of it for the overlay what's on the screen itself there's a lot of very interesting things to me you have a sprite that basically looks like a flower it's as outside of the racing track like outside there's like you know those dotted lines that kind of show where the the track is and then outside of that we've got these flowers and they spawn in randomly. And it really makes you feel like you're going through a forest or something. Because they make all these random arrangements along the sides. And it's one of the the best looking like scrolling graphic background things that I've ever seen. <laughs> it just looks really cool. It's so simple too. It's just one sprite repeated a lot. Almost taking up the majority of what's outside of the racing track. But it has like little spots where there's not one there, there's not one there, there's not one there. And it just makes it super interesting to look at. And since that is random too, it just adds that feeling that you're driving through something that's unique every time you you play. It's really, really cool. And I think it looks great. The sprite for the flower is like almost nicer than the sprite than on the car. <laughs> so it, it looks nice. And there's, you know, like, 30 of them on the screen at any one time it's kind of weird oh wow that's crazy yeah the track itself it looks pretty nice with the borders just rectangles but i think they they look pretty cool the car itself is probably one of the weaker points i don't know you can tell it's a car but since it's in yellow too it um it almost looks like a firefly or something (laughs) i don't know (laughs) on top of that you've got oil slicks you've got sand traps you've got just cars that are broken down on the road you just have to avoid because there's no other AI or anything that's like racing you. It's more just a 
high score kind of one player game. And then uh, there's one more thing. Oh, at some points in the track, the track will actually split off like a T-junction. And there was actually an arrow on the track that tells you which way to go. And I tried to take the wrong way one time and it ended up connecting back to the original, like where the arrow wanted me to go. But I don't think I got any points for going that way. Oh, interesting. I know. It's like the first time I ever played a racing game where I could go two different directions. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it just makes the world feel so much bigger. And I, I loved whenever I saw one of those. And in general, also, you can have arrows on the ground just like when a sharp turn is coming up just to help help you uh, figure that out. There's also, I want to mention, there's two different game modes. There's beginner and then expert. And in the expert one, the turns are a lot sharper. There are times when the track is a lot more narrow and there's a lot more um, just, you know, oil slicks and debris in the field. So... I just think the replayability for this game is like off the charts because <laughs> not only is it different every time, but you can try to get good enough where you can really go for that expert mode and play these crazy looking difficult tracks. Yeah. But I think that's just about everything I needed to tell you as far as the gameplay. So let's get into the scores. Let's start with, um, with gameplay. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of 10 West. Is that too low? It almost feels Ooh, too low to me. Up to you. I mean, it sounds like a great game, but three and a half is pretty high for us right three now. Three and a half is pretty high. I'm, you know what? I'm going up 3.75 us. That's how much I'd like this game. We're doing it live. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like the replayability is there in, in such a way that has never been there. I don't know. Like, it's different every time. It's random, and it's very uniquely different, too. Like, you can have tracks that where you're going like diagonal for like a long period of the track. And then you can have tracks that do a lot of U-turns, you know, like it's so different. And with the flowers all being different every time and that really adds a lot. And then obviously having a scrolling play field, the first game to ever do so. I love that. It just makes you feel like you're playing in some sort of giant forest or something. Right. For graphics, I gave that a three and a half out of ten too. The flowers do the heavy lifting there. <laughs> I feel like it's one of the things we always ask for in a game. It's like, okay, you know, I'm driving along a road, but there's nothing to the sides. It's just empty. And you don't get that here. You get this feeling like you're driving through some sort of big forest or I know they're flowers, but when they're going by really fast, it looks more like trees for some reason or bushes or something. So um, it makes that world feel better and and it makes the track stand out more because you see like the flowers like coming in towards the center when the track is getting thin and stuff. I don't know. It just makes it feel nicer and easier to look at too. And then you have a normal overlay. You've got decent looking car and then a bunch of obstacles. I love the arrows on the track when, when the track splits, which again, I, the fact that it splits at all is really cool to me. Yeah. So all those things combined, I just gave it three and a half out of ten because I loved it. Sound is probably one of the weaker points. It's pretty generic sounding Grand Track 10-esque things. So just like a normal car noise. I forgot to mention there is a slight drifting that happens with the game, which is great. It's not like as noticeable as some of the other ones we've played. I think it could even be toned down because you're supposed to be in a bug. I don't right. know. But it does happen, and there is a, a noise for the drifting. 
But I think they're just copy-paste noises from their other games. Nothing really new there. Relevance, I went kind of high. Give it seven and a half out of ten because it's the first game with like a scrolling playfield, and uh, that's like every game now. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's a big thing, especially for racing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like in general, having a level that is larger than whatever you can see immediately on the screen like needs that. <laughs> yeah. So um, is pretty important. <laughs> so I. I gave it pretty high for that. I think it sold pretty well too. It is by Key Games, which I guess by now they're kind of known as like the people that do racing games really well. So I know it sold pretty well as well. So yeah, seven and a half out of ten, and that gave me a total score of three and a half out of ten. A very very good racing game coming out here in September of '77 as well. And um, I don't know. What do you think, Wes? That sounds awesome. Sounds like it's got so much cool stuff going for it. Yeah. I mean, I hate that we always give it to uh, Atari and Key Games, (laughs) but they keep making some good stuff. Yeah. I just feel like I've been waiting for a game like this, really. It's just, it's like, when am I going to get that game where instead of seeing the entire track at once, it's like almost zoomed in and it gives me the illusion that the track is massive. You know, even if it wasn't random. But it was just like this massive track that I was, you know, felt like I could go a lot faster on and stuff. It would be cool. But since it's random, it's like you can play this game for hours and have fun with it, I think. So I really liked it. Yeah, but that's super bug. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. And leads us right into our next honorable mention, Superbug, which is just a licensed version of Superbug in Germany by Lowen Automaton. A nice pronunciation on that. I don't know if it was right, but it sounded all right, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We got a couple honorable mentions here uh, before we ended up and uh, out here today. So we're going to be talking about quickly the last of the holy trinity of computers. We already did the Apple II and we did the Commodore Pet. And then the last one of the holy trinity is the TRS-80, which released in August of 77. So last month. And I didn't find any games for it that released right with it. In fact, the only thing I could find for all of 77 were these games that we're going to talk about here today. We're going to start off by talking about quickly going through a user's manual from Radio Shack, which came out in 77. It had tons of like different programs on it from accounting things to just basic timers and stuff. But it also had a list of games, although... All the games, there's no pictures of them, and we just have code, which we can't really do ourselves. None of the games are like that big, but we'll just quickly go through them here. The first one is called Fire When Ready Gridly. It's also known as Castle Shoot, and I think we've maybe have done a game like this before. Maybe it's kind of like the war games, but um, it seems it's most likely like a math-based shooting game. I think they're all in basic language as, as well, by the way. And then the next one that we have is called Slowpoke, which is basically just a reaction testing game. I'm guessing it's something like where it shows up and you're supposed to press a button at a certain time or press a key. Yeah. 
And then the next one that we have in that user manual is Sorry, which was essentially just drawing cards for the game of Sorry, but you still had to move the pieces on the physical board. So a slower version of Sorry. Right. <laughs> After that, we had The Wheel of Fortune, which was based off a carnival game called The Wheel of Fortune, which I didn't really know about. I guess it's popular in carnivals and maybe even I mean, like I mean, a theme parks or something same same as spinning the wheel in the wheel of fortune i think it's just that upright one where you win a prize yeah except this this one it's like a gambling one so okay i think you pick some sort of thing on the wheel sometime like there's different odds for them and if you get it right you get that many points so like the ones that are better odds give you less points or not points but like money back but if you don't get it, you just lose the money. So it's basically an RNG gambling game. <laughs> and then finally we have Craps, which is the basic card game Craps, a version of it for basic on the TRS-80, though. And then next up, we have some more TRS-80 things that just weren't included in that early user manual. The first one is Backgammon and Blackjack, which came out in September. It came with the computer for free but we couldn't really find any videos on what this one was. We also have Trek 80. We we mentioned Trek 80. Wes actually reviewed it and rated it, but it was ported over to the TRS-80 in 77 by uh, the Judges Guild and also Radio Shack. So uh, just another version of that. And now getting off of the TRS-80, we're going to talk about some other ones. This one is a really weird one I found in a magazine or some sort of new- newsletter. But it's called the SFS Wallet Size Spaceship Simulator Arcade. A long name by the company 2005 AD <laughs> Incorporated. <laughs> it's essentially a lunar lander game. But what was insane about it is that they built up this entire peripheral set that made you feel like you were inside of a spaceship. It was like one of those things that's big enough that you would like sit inside of. You know what I mean? Right. I almost think about them like a game that you might find at like a mall or something that like it's like a game everybody knows but they try to add all these peripherals and make you pay for it <laughs> but it was just crazy looking it had like tons of tons of buttons flashing all over the place and like different levers and stuff uh, it looks really really cool but it's just lunar lander so <laughs> right <laughs> Not, nothing much with the gameplay there peripheral and the weird name is the real draw for that one mm-hmm <laughs> And then next up, we have the last game that I took a look at and reviewed. This is Flats for the Play-Doh system, originally by Steve Stone and Rex Battenberg. But unfortunately, the system that we play on, Cyber One, the only version of it remaining is a version called Golf, which is basically a remade version of Flats. This version is by Lane Friedman and Michael Grabman. So I got to play this one on Cyber One, the Play-Doh Network uh, simulator that we have. Basically, the gameplay is what you would expect from a golf game. It's a top-down view of a course. You can play the front or back nine or the full course. You have to factor in wind. You have tons of different clubs to choose from. I don't know much about golf, but I'm guessing it's all the normal clubs that you would have to choose from. And basically, a turn is you choose your club, you choose the strength of the hit from a percentage of 0 to 100%, and then you choose the angle that you're shooting at. If you hit from 
the bunker or the trees or the rough. You have different percentage penalties to the amount of power of your hit. Uh, so there's that. And the angle that you shoot from, I don't know if I'm totally misthinking this, but it seemed really weird to me. You have a compass in the top left of the screen, which is you know, normally oriented with north at the top. But if you're shooting north, 90 degrees, not zero degrees, which or 360 degrees, which I think is weird, unless I'm crazy and this mm-hmm. just like makes sense in some weird golf compass world that I'm not aware of. But yeah, all golfers do that, Wes. Come on. <laughs> I'm gonna assume it's not normal because it's real <laughs> weird. Uh, but that I mean, it didn't take me that long, but it was five minutes of me like hitting zero degrees or whatever because I wanted to go straight ahead and then my ball would just go like flying off the screen and I would get an out of bounds. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and lose the stroke. So basically, for your reference and my orientation, north is 90, east is zero, south is 270, and west is 180. Once I figured that out, I could actually factor in the wind and it made sense. So I could get a couple of hits in <laughs> that were actually pretty decent. Okay. There's also water on the map. There's either creeks or there's ponds. If you hit in there, you lose a stroke. And uh, one nice feature about this, I mean, it's pretty simple graphics overall because it's a Play-Doh game, but it does zoom in onto the green and the hole if you get on the green, if you actually get your ball there and then it switches to putter automatically and you can putt from there. Hmm. But this is all a top-down view of a course. Uh, You know, there's no like behind over the shoulder thing of putting or a 3d wireframe uh, club or anything like that so it's pretty simple but it does a decent job of overall simulating the gameplay of chess i think oh, you just said of chess oh <laughs> i did how did i do that uh, it does a pretty good job of overall simulating the gameplay of golf uh, so getting into my ratings for this for graphics i just gave it a one out of ten Honestly, they do a pretty good job of illustrating like a whole course with different hazards, but it's still pretty rough. I mean, it's kind of just like a clover shape for a bunker, and then it has diagonal lines going this direction, but then if it's trees, there are these tiny little circles and diagonal lines going the other direction, you know? Mm-hmm. So nothing too crazy. It's definitely enough for you to figure out visually what everything is once you go through the little tutorial. But it's pretty much just uh, hitting the ball every turn, and there's nothing crazy graphically going on. There's no player hitting the ball. The ball just kind of shows up wherever you hit it, and then you play out your next turn. So you can't, the ball doesn't like move. It's just like you hit, now it's over there. It teleports, yeah. Yeah, okay. And it, it looks like it kind of makes a line, like it erases almost a line where it travels, so you can see like where you shot from to where you went. But it's not super obvious either to see like your path that you took every single hit. There were some really good looking title screens, like some of the other Play-Doh games we've seen where there's those awesome orange and black like wireframe graphics. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't too sure if these were part of the original or just part of the Golf remake. So for the purposes of it, I just gave it a 1 out of 10 for graphics. That would have been a little bit extra, but it wouldn't have really bumped it up that much anyway. For sound, I gave it a 0 out of 10. It is a Play-Doh computer game, no sound. And then for gameplay, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. I'm not a huge fan of golf, and as a uh, gamer, I think I would prefer like arcadey golf 
like Mario Golf or something. Mm -hmm. But it does seem to do a pretty faithful job of recreating golf. It seems a lot like the other Play-Doh sports games that we've seen where it's like the main draw is how detailed and close can we get to the original game as far as like authenticity of rules and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I think there definitely is a draw to that, but it doesn't really pull me in. It's like a casual gamer, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I appreciate it. it was very detailed and it gave you a lot of options and a lot of variables to consider as far as like the sand traps and the water and the wind variables. But you're still kind of just typing in percent, typing in an angle and then seeing what happens. It's a decent bit of fun, but the gameplay just wasn't really for me. For relevance, I gave it a 4 out of 10. I think it's the first golf game we've seen on a computer. Correct me if I'm wrong. There have been a bunch of golf Play-Doh, or sorry, golf basic games, but none that we could play. And, okay, you know, so, all those would be text-based. Right, yeah, so this may be the first one then that we actually has some form of graphics. It actually lays the whole course out before you, which is nice. Mm -hmm. But even with that, I don't think it's really had a huge impact. It was important enough that people recreated it in Cyber 1, but it just doesn't really seem like anything too relevant to me. So overall, I gave Flats a... 1 out of 10. Uh, it's a faithful recreation of golf. I think that gives the player a decent bit of stuff to strategize around. But the gameplay just kind of feels uh, pun intended flat. And you know, it's a great example of what can be done in Play-Doh. One of those games where it's like, wow, it's crazy that a computer can calculate all this, but it didn't end up being super fun for me. And I did want to round it out with, I played one hole, which I didn't think I would actually be able to get it know like score at all mm -hmm. or get complete a uh, hole but i did complete it only ended 22 over par with what they said was an octuple bogey so <laughs> whoa <laughs> wow and i'll be honest i was kind of proud of that i yeah. thought the game would just kick me out of the course at uh, some point <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's it's an interesting one but it's kind of what we've come to expect from like yeah. sports versions of or sports in play though yeah, it feels like a very simple golf game, and that's kind of what I was expecting from it. So, yeah, I'm glad it wasn't like overly complicated, like a lot of the Play-Doh games. No, honestly, the fact that I could play one hole in 20 minutes and be like, I know what I did, and I know why I got the ball in the yeah. hole, like that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So maybe a little bit more newbie friendly than some of the other ones. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that's good. All right, cool. And with that, we're going to move on to the very end here. We had a long one today. It's really um, just because we're trying to set up for next episode, which uh, should I spoil it right now, Wes? Spoiler right now. The next episode, we're going to be looking at the Atari 2600. It's probably the biggest episode of the whole year, I think. And uh, it's weird that it's kind of like we did 50 episodes and then 51 is like the start of a new era. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worked out perfectly and we sure yeah. as heck didn't plan it. I know we didn't, <laughs> but we did want to try to get all of the non Atari 2600 games in today so that next week is just going to be the 2600. It'll be really, really cool. But the last thing we have to talk about here is I didn't rate this one. But I'm going to give a bit of an extended honorable mention. It's a bunch of RCA Studio 2 games. I'll go through them real quickly and then I'll talk about the RCA Studio 2 in general. 
But the first game is Blackjack. It's essentially the same as Blackjack on the Fairchild. It looks almost exactly like it and plays very similarly, but it's in black and white because it's on the RCA Studio 2. <laughs> so a little bit worse, but I feel like that one's like, oh, if I have an RCA Studio 2, like it's probably worth picking up. <laughs> and then we have Biorhythm, which we've seen some of these on Basic, but you put in two dates, which I think you're supposed to do the date you were born and then the current day, and then it spits out a sign graph that shows like your cycles of happiness or something. Yes, I do remember talking about this before. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, but now it's on a console, I guess. I, I don't know why anyone would pay money for that. <laughs> but And it's in black and white and just spits out. And it's weird too because a sign graph has a bunch of curves in it, but we're dealing with giant pixel sizes, so it's more like a bar graph that goes up and down. <laughs> That's kind of weird. And then the last one here is called TV Bingo. And this one actually has a weird story behind it because I think for like 20 years or something, like a long time, people didn't know this existed. And then on some forum somewhere, someone just posted a picture like in the background. It was like a picture of TV Bingo. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh my God, what, like, is that real? Like for a while it was like a, almost like not real you know what i mean just a legend right yeah. and uh eventually like it, like the entire internet like go to youtube and search tv bingo rsa studio 2 there's like podcasts to, dedicated to for people like reaching out to their audience being like do any of you know where this game is really it was like in a whole community coming together to try to find this game yeah <laughs> which i love and um they did find another version of it of tv bingo and I actually read that someone in the community contacted that person who had nothing to do with the hunt. You know, they just happened to have it. And they sent them the machine that you use to, like, get a ROM, which I guess is a machine. Okay. They, like, mailed yeah. it to them, and then the guy used it and mailed it back, and then they have the ROM now. But it was all that work, and the whole game is just just lists bingo numbers randomly so you bring a bingo sheet and it's like b22 <laughs> e25 that's it that's the whole game it doesn't even have bingo cards on the game it just shows numbers which to be fair it's, it might be like kind of nice to have but yeah that's that, that is the missing link in all of video game history ben that they found <laughs> and it was bingo all along yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's it and the reason I'm kind of talking with these right now, these are the last games for the RCA Studio 2. I didn't think any of them were worth like reading, but I do want to talk about the RCA Studio 2 because it's been kind of a long history, and uh, or it's felt long. <laughs> <laughs> but all the games did come out in 77, and this is it. It's over now. I'm not going to miss it too badly. I want to know what your thoughts are, Wes, because some people have called it the worst console of all time. Ooh. Is that... What would you say about that? Because I'm kind of torn. Like some of the early Pong ones, I'm like, well, that's not good. <laughs> but then again, uh, this this one couldn't even play Pong. So, but it had other things too. That's true. You know, honestly, I don't think it's the worst of all time, just because of the fact that there's multiple games for it, and yeah. some of them were playable. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, because you think about some of those ones where it was like rip off just Pong. And it wasn't good. Yeah. And at least this, you had options. Of course, if you were 
playing it back in the day, you had to pay for those options. So I don't know if it was worth it from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It at least has a special place in my heart for being like the one that was going against Fairchild as we were like looking at both of them at the yeah. same time. And of course, Fairchild better games, I think, objectively. Mm-hmm. But this one had an interesting history to it. It was still a second generation console. So. I don't know. You, you got to give it some credit. I'm not going to say yeah. the games were good because I did not enjoy them. But <laughs> Right. It has uh, some of the first games ever developed by a woman, which is very interesting to the timeline. Yeah. But even though I don't like it that much, to me, it, it is it does have a charm to it, weirdly enough. <laughs> it's just weird to think of a console that has like, I don't know how many games it had, 10 or 15 and they all used a numpad to control. <laughs> I so did weird. forget about that. That's yeah. true. <laughs> but the reason I want to talk about real quickly, the reason why the RCA Studio 2 is going away, is actually because the company behind it, there's two reasons, but the main one is the RCA company behind it started to develop the RCA Studio 3. And that's going to be coming out next year. We're going to be taking a look at it. And oh, man. I don't know much about it, Wes. I haven't looked at the games. I don't know what problems they fix, but there is one thing I do know, and that is that it is in color. <laughs> oh, okay. So the legacy of the black and white is over, and I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but also, the RC company gets sold or sells maybe just the console branch or something like that. So it's right during the transition to the Studio 3. So the Studio 3 comes out, but then a bunch of other consoles come out by these other companies because it was bought by like a conglomerate or something gotcha. and they they posted it under a bunch of different names but that's for 78 to figure out <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime we're going to call it there for today and talk about the 2600 next week which i'm just so pumped about you guys will see when we get there next week but it's <laughs> gonna be good thank you guys so much for joining us for the past 50 episodes it's been a crazy ride we've come across a lot of great games and uh, i hope this episode was worth it because you guys sat through a bunch of a bunch of games but uh they were good ones i mean Superbug, i love that one lagoon eraser wasn't that bad either depth charge sounded good golf was surprisingly playable <laughs> hey, there you go that's a good way to put it star cruiser was yeah. uh interesting for its advertising and theming if nothing else but also a different way to play the game with its uh alternate fire modes yeah true a cash grab that actually maybe tried to do something right (laughs) (laughs) but as always make sure to uh check us out on twitter for latest announcements about when our episodes are being posted or if we're gonna have to skip anything check out our website because ben is always putting new information up there as sort of a way that you can browse through everything that we've covered so far and send us an email if you have any questions and with that we'll see you guys next time see you all next time